Today's reading is taken from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you, and somehow I have wasted that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jenny. So if you can have your Bibles uh, open to Galatians chapter four, that would be great. And let's pray that God will prepare our hearts. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that your words are living and powerful. And Lord, we pray that now that you would fill us with your spirit, uh, prepare our hearts to receive your word, uh, that it may grow and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you here today are Christians, but let me ask, why is it that, that we continue doing the most unchristianly thing Again and again and again. I don't mean that you go out and you've murdered people or commit adultery or, um, uh, or they're super greedy and so on. I mean, why do we, having started with grace, grace of Jesus Christ, why then do we revert back um, to law, to the law? Why do we make Christianity and our lives about how good we are? Again and again, why do we continue to revert back to depending on our goodness and achievements uh, for our self-worth? Why do we go back to works after having started with grace? And how do we stop ourselves from doing this? Well, if you've been following, if you've been coming uh, to the church lately, these are the questions that Paul's been asking um, and answering. And it's of the utmost importance. We are a people of grace. We've started with grace, and we need to live in grace, and we need to continue to be in grace. And in order to stop us from going back to works, he says, Paul says here today, remember who you were, remember who you are now, um, and remember what's at stake. So remember first of what we were. When I was a child, I hated being a child, uh, because uh, the adults ran your life, and I couldn't, hate, I couldn't wait to grow up. Adults, when you're a child, they tell you when, what to eat, what not to eat, when to go to bed, uh, when to wake up, uh, what subjects to study, who your friends, uh, friends are, what to watch uh, on TV, what not to watch. They dictate every part of your life. I couldn't wait to grow up. 
And that's, I think, why Paul writes, that's what he, Paul has in mind in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the entire, or the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In a Roman household, an underage child um, was under the guardian, guardianship of the, uh, 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 under the guardianship of the guardian or the tutor. Um, and he was no different from being a slave because the guardian or the tutor told him what to do at every point of his life. Sometimes, um, uh, sorry, and he was considered a child until age 14. And Paul says here that we were all underaged and we were all under, in a way, slavery to, uh, under the guardianship of another. For the Jews, as uh, Charles preached last week, for the Jews, this was the law. The guardian was the law. The law told us what to do. The first five books of the Bible laid out how we ought to conduct our relationship with God and with other people. And it wasn't in just big principle terms, like love God and love your neighbor and work things out. It wasn't like that. Actually, every part of one's life was spelled out in detail in these, in these books. For example... It spelled out how we should relate to God. Um, as we worship God, um, it, it, it told us which material the altar should be made out of, how the servant should be treated, whether to charge interest in money when we, when we lend money to others, what to do when a, uh, when a neighbor's ox or a donkey wanders into your own yard. What do you do then? It spelled out what to do then. Um, uh, what, what, what annual festivals and seasons to keep, uh, how to offer sacrifices, how to build the tabernacle, what uh, the priest should wear as they offer uh, these gifts. Every part of our lives, how we relate to God and how we relate to our neighbors was spelled out by the law. It told us what to do. So Paul says, Jewish, principle, uh, Jewish people in principle were under slavery. Under slavery, under the elemental forces, as NIV puts it, but in a, a better tra- translation would be basic principles of the world. The, w- the word there is literally ABCs of the world. And we find out that in verse 5, that that is really talking about the law for the Jews. The law spelled out the ABCs of how to live our lives. And this applied to the Jewish people of every age, even Moses. Moses was under the law. The man of faith, the man of promise was under the law. He had to live under the law. King David was under the law. He had to do the sacrifices. He had to uh, fulfill the requirements of the law. The prophets were under the law. Everyone in the Old Testament lived under the subjection of the law. And we needed the law, as Charles told us last week, because... The law led us to Christ. It drove us to Christ by revealing our sinfulness. But in this text today, Paul adds another layer to that metaphor. Not only does it reveal our sinfulness, it also guides and it also instructs. We needed the law to guide us and to lead us, to keep us in line until the set time had come, until we could grow up and grow out of the law. We needed this guardian. But this is the thing. Once again, the law 
guides, it tells us what to do. But once again, we need to keep in mind that the law also frustrates as it reveals to you what we should do. It also reveals our sinfulness because it reveals our inability to do the law, to keep the law ourselves. And this is once again why Paul said last week that we're under the subjection, slavery of the law. Even as it guides, we're under slavery. But it's not just the Jewish people that he's talking to who had the physical books, the five, uh, the, the, the five books of the Bible. We're talking about uh, when Paul's talking to Galatians here in verse 3, when he says we, he's talking to the Greek Christians, the Gentile Christians as well, people who didn't have a Moses, who didn't have this revelation. He had these people in mind as well, but they're also under the subjection of the law, the basic principles of the world. Uh, This is because, once again, we all have the basic principles in our conscience. It dictates us to us what to do. It guides us. We shouldn't do this. We should do this. This is in our conscience. But once again, it reveals our sinfulness to us because it also reveals our inability to do them. It is our guide, the law, but it's also our prosecutor. It leads, but it also convicts. And if you don't think, once again, that you are sinful, that you are under slavery, under this control of the law, then try being good for a while. Try to set some rules, basic rules for yourselves uh, that goes along uh, with your conscience. Try it um, for a month. Uh, Try it for a week. Um, Try to control your greed, your jealousy, your anger, your lust, and your pride. All the things that you know you shouldn't do. Try Try to control it just for a week. See how you end up. Soon, you will see that we are under slavery over these things. It has this mastery over us. This is how C.S. Lewis puts it um, in his classic Mere Christianity. No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that people, good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptations know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. This is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. When we try to resist our temptation, we find out how strong this temptation is, how strong our sinful impulse in our life is, how high it has this mastery over us. Even as the law guides, it will convict. We are under slavery. But praise God that he did not leave us just in this state. Uh, Take uh, uh, verse 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus 
became a human being, born of a woman, and he was born under the law. And think about who he was. He was born under the law, and he was the only one in history who won the blessings of the law. Everything that the law dictated and required, he fulfilled. He, he won these blessings, but he did not enjoy them because he died under a curse. He became a curse for us. He was hung on the cross for us to pay for our sin, to redeem us from our sins. But the great news of that is he didn't just die for us. There's something more, something more uh, that happens to us. He didn't simply pay for our sins and lets us to live our own lives. Through him, we receive adoption to sonship. Paul says, we become God's son, verse 6. We become his children. And may I quickly say that Paul's not being misogynistic or patriarchal here. He's simply using the language of the day to tell us what this means for us uh, when you become a Christian. You see, women couldn't inherit the same way that men did. They couldn't become heirs. So it's important that we're adopted to his sonship, that we become his son. Uh, 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 that sonship is a legal term that says no matter who you were before, no matter whether you're strangers or even enemies of God, that you become his son. Uh, you become a legal heir to all that God has. Even women, he's saying, can become an heir through Christ. This is why before, in last week, there's neither women, men nor women, uh, Gentile or, or Jew, um, slave nor free. We can all in, become children of God through Christ. We can all bec- become heirs through Christ, even women. And that's, he's going against the culture there. And that adoption changes everything. Our old life is gone. Our old debts are paid. Our status changes. We go from being slaves to a son to having this new relationship with God the Father. In our church, um, we see this lived out and, and we have many people who have adopted children. And if you've adopted children, you know how your children's lives have changed instantly when you adopted them. Before the adoption, many of these children were born orphans, unwanted. Many of them come from poorest parts of China. Many of them were in jeopardy in terms of their health, and some of them were abandoned because of their health problems, because of deformity or whatever. Their future was bleak or, at, 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 uh, at best, a life of difficulty. When you took these children home, their life changed instantly. Their past was erased, and they're given a new future instantly. All that you own became theirs. All the medical care that you have, all the um, uh, education, it became theirs as well. They are wanted and loved. Their future no longer involves at any point begging for food because they now have a refrigerator to go to. They become legal heirs, people who will inherit everything that you have. You see, that is what Christ has done for us. He forgave our sins and he's adopted us into his family. We become his son. We become his heir. A child's, um, who the child's parents are also matter quite a bit, doesn't it? You can be adopted into a poor family, middle class family, or, or a well-to-do family. 
what Paul's telling us today is we're adopted by God. You are no longer a slave, verse 7, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And to guarantee, to guarantee that we are his, he sent the Holy Spirit to us. And listen to what the Spirit does in our hearts. The first thing that Spirit does as he comes into our hearts is he cries out, Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's a term of intimacy. I know that many people have difficulty imagining God as their father because they had maybe tough relationship with um, their own human father. But even if this is the case, there is spirit who lives inside of you and who cries out to God the Father, Daddy, because you are now his. And that intimacy is promised to you, even though you might feel far away from God today because maybe of your sin, because you're going through tough things and you're suffering or whatever it is. Your spirit, the spirit uh, that God has sent, the spirit cries out from inside of you, Abba, Father, because that is the relationship that God has given us through Christ Jesus. He sent his spirit, he sent his, uh, the spirit into our hearts to guarantee our inheritance. We are his children. But the temptation is to always revert back to what we were. It's incredible uh, to revert back to being slaves all over again. And that story is, uh, as you know, uh, told in Luke chapter 15, the, the story of the prodigal sons. A younger son returned home and has given his sonship back. But the older brother had never left home. He's the presumptive heir, the one who has always been by the fa- father's side. But when his bro- brother returns, the older brother refused. Refu- refused to go back home. And as his father comes out um, to plead with him, he complains. And this is what he said. All these years, all these years, I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed you. Did you hear that? All these years, I've been slaving for you. All these years, I've never disobeyed you. Even though he is the son Even though he is the heir to everything that the father has, he's been slaving. He's been obeying. He doesn't understand what that relationship actually means. And that's precisely the mistake that Paul doesn't want us to make. We are his children. We are his children of God, not slaves. We have once been slaves, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those uh, who by nature are not God's. But, verse 9, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to the weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? It's the same question that the father might have asked the, the, the elder son. My son, everything I have is yours. What are you doing out in the, out in the field slaving for me? You are not a slave. Christianity is not a religion of slaves. It is religion of adoption. It is religion of being children of God. It is, it is a religion that, that promises everything that God has to us. We are not his slaves. Why go back then to these weak and miserable forces? And if we add to grace, 
If we put our confidence in our observance of the law, if you think that there is somehow you can become a super Christian by doing all these things, as if your status changes by doing all these things, if you think that way, you are going back to slavery, you're going back to idolatry. It's that serious. If you trust, in, if your confidence is in the observance of the law, on being good, you are going back to idolatry. You're going back to paganism, as Paul puts it. You see, this is life and death matter. We've started with grace, and we need to remain in grace for the rest of our lives. And I know that you know this. I know that you know you should rely on grace. But I also know that for the rest of our lives, you and I will continue to fall back to this temptation of relying on our works. This is why Paul's writing. He's writing, after all, to people who are just like you and me, Gentile Christians who were saved by grace. Each one of them were saved by grace, but they backslid. They went back to going back to slavery. And that is the temptation that we will struggle with for the rest of our, our lives. So today... Let me ask, where is your confidence today? What do you rely on? Are you slaving for God? All these years, I've been slaving for you. Is that how you feel about your work in the church? All these things that you do, I know there are many volunteers in our church. Are you slaving for God? All the things that you do in your life, in your workplace, all the things that you do for God, are you slaving for God? God, I've done all these good things for you. Why are these bad things happening to me? That's a slaving, slave uh, mindset. Are you slaving for God? God, I've observed all the laws. Now I, I'm entitled to my salvation. That's slaving for God. Are you slaving for him? Sisters and brothers, you are not slaves. You are children of God. You are children of God. And since you are his children... God has made you into his heirs. But you might be asking then, how am I supposed to live? What's the difference being, um, between being a slave of God and uh, uh, being an heir and a child of God? What does that look like? What, the, what, what does that difference look like? Well, you do have to wait until chapter 5 to find this out <laughs> fully. But let me give you a little bit of a, a, a preview of what's to come. And I think C.S. Lewis is, once again, super helpful um, when it comes to this. He says, a perfect man would never act from sense of duty. He'd always want the right things more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love like like crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course, it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, our own love, tastes, habits, can do the journey on their own. You know, we will need the law. We will need to rely on the law time to time because we are sinful. And sometimes we don't, we need to be convicted uh, that this is our duty to love God. This is our duty to do these things. But this is the difference. God has sent the Holy Spirit to each one of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he's transforming you to love God. He's transforming your habits. He's transforming your tastes. He's transforming your loves that you might love God and you might obey God out of love for God. That you might be this man who always does the right thing. That you are, God is sanctifying you to be more like his son Jesus Christ. That you would want to do the right thing all the time. 
At times we do need to rely on the law because we're sinful. But that drives us, because the law convicts, it'll drive us to grace of God and to, uh, to Christ even more. And that's the main job of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? To remind us what Christ has done for us. To remind us of what we were once slaves. To remind us of what we are, children of God. And he will remind us that this was done through Christ that Jesus has done this for us. And I think we do need to then follow the lead of the Holy, lead of the Holy Spirit and remind ourselves of these things. Perhaps um, we could imitate John Newton in this regard. As, as you might know, Newton was a slave trader, uh, but he, was, uh, um, he lost his mother at three. When he was three, uh, he went uh, into being a sailor at the age of 11, uh, and then he came into um, uh, slave trade um, uh, soon after. He sold people for a living. When he was 23, on May 10th, uh, 1748, his ship was about to be wrecked um, by this ferocious storm, and he cried out um, to God for mercy, and God granted him mercy. He was rescued, and then he was converted. And for the rest of his life, he tried to remember what he had been, a former blasphemer and a slave trader, in order to imprint this on his memory, in order to remember what Christ has done. He wrote in bold prints over a, in a mantle, uh, um, over a wall, on a wall over a mantelpiece of his study, the words of Deuteronomy 15.15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God has redeemed you. Remember, you were slaves, but Christ has redeemed you. That is who we are. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you sent your son Jesus to redeem us and through him that we are adopted um, to, to be uh, his children, God's children, your children, and heirs of your eternal kingdom. We thank you for the spirit that testifies to what Christ has done for us. We thank you for the spirit who's transforming us from within, inside out, to be more like your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you will constantly remind us of who you are, what you've done, that our love for you might increase evermore that we will be people who will want to do the right thing all the time. And we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We thank you that he is at work already. In Jesus' name, amen.